Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've joined us this morning as we try to find the answers to some of your questions. And that's what we do on this program. It's a viewer question and we try to come up with some answers from the Bible phone number and website are at the bottom of the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime you want. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We get very uh, detailed Bible questions about a verse or a topic or a doctrine, and we get a lot of life questions about people, uh, what's going on in their life or in current events and moral issues in the news. Uh, we're happy to discuss any of those things that have a biblical background, so you call and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Let me introduce uh, partner Toby Levering here. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. <clears throat> We're going to answer as many as we can today, but we'll we start with one for our viewing audience. So here's your question for the day. Somebody in the Old Testament caught 300 foxes. I was going to use them for kind of a prank, but uh, you see if you can tell us who uh, caught those foxes. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, I think you drew the first question, so get us rolling today. Uh, viewer asks this question. <clears throat> the Pope says the souls of our pets go to heaven. Do you agree? <laughs> well, uh, on this program, of course, as you know, we seek to see, to find exactly what the Bible says. And, and so while uh, the Pope may have an opinion, I'm, uh, it doesn't really uh, weigh any different than any other human being's opinion uh, as we weigh it in light of Scripture. Uh, on this particular issue, as we talk about pets in heaven, unfortunately, the Scripture has very little to say about the matter. Um, and, of course, <clears throat> the traditional view in Christianity is that animals uh, are different than human beings and, and created differently with the breath of God. And so the traditional view has been that, you know, uh, animals are just part of creation and they just stay with the earth when they, when they pass away and uh, human beings go on to an eternal existence with the Lord or, or in other places. Uh, however, uh, in more, more recent times, as people have come to value the lives of animals seemingly more and more than in the past, lots more people get this idea that, well, we'd really like to have our pets in heaven. That's what would make it heavenly. <laughs> well, I don't know about all that. And I think we've said on this program before that if, uh, if God uh, thinks it's necessary for part of our heavenly existence, then you can be sure it will be there because God's heaven is a perfect place. Uh, where we'll never want to leave. And so uh, I do answer the question basically like Solomon answered it. And we'll look at this uh, answer on the screen for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The, the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so the other. All have the same breath. Humans have 
no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit animals of the animal goes down to the earth. And so I think Solomon is basically saying, I don't know. <laughs> and that's my answer to the question as well. I hope that helps you. All righty. Uh, <clears throat> might ought to point out that Solomon, while he was the wisest man that ever lived, he wrote some really negative he Almost did. sarcastic stuff. <laughs> uh, he investigated everything in life, and a lot of it didn't work. He, <laughs> he tried money, he tried pleasure, he tried things, and, and so he wrote this book about it. And a lot of times in it, he's just really like negative, depressed, <laughs> you know. And this one's kind of one of those. He said, yep. you know, everybody dies. Yep. is what he's really saying. You know, animals die, we die. Well, but the important part is, like you pointed out, God, God hadn't revealed it to yep. him. Yep. God hadn't told him that animals go to heaven or not. Uh, so Solomon says, who knows, who knows? <laughs> about that? But uh, you got to read all of Ecclesiastes to get the big picture. Very interesting book he, to he's read. He's kind of up and down in there. <laughs> all right, got a question about uh, donating organs. Very interesting. Does the Bible say anything about donating organs? And the very short answer is no. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. I remembered one verse and uh, tracked it down, Galatians 4.15, that's kind of close. Uh, Paul probably had something wrong with his eyes, we assume from some of his verses that he wrote. Uh, and he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 4.15 and he said that they loved him so much, he said, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Uh, I think that's about as close to organ donation as we can get in the Bible. And of course that was hypothetical. He just said they loved him that much. Uh, but other than that, doesn't say anything about it. I think it's a good idea, good practice. Uh, I think it's something you ought to discuss with your family so everybody's on the same page about it. Uh, but it's one of those things that science advances uh, and we have to make decisions as science advances. We have to discern what is best. Uh, science creates a lot of things like that that are good, that help people. And science creates things that are going to be difficult for us to figure out. And already, I mean, we, if we ever figure out how to clone and all of that, uh, we're going to have to decide what's the godly principle here. What do we do about that? But uh, organ donation, I can see no principle against it. And uh, if you're able to do that and your family's in agreement, uh, probably a good idea. But nothing in the Bible about it. Okay. Uh, next uh, viewer wants to know, uh, I have, they say, I have my own business and have customers who do not pay their bills. Does 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6 mean I should not turn these cases over to a collection agency? All right. Well, as a business owner, I understand that uh, uh, there's some difficulty with dishonest people. Uh, my grandfather for many years ran a hardware store in a small town. And I know when they closed up that hardware store that they had stacks upon stacks of unpaid uh, bills from customers who had just uh, taken advantage of my grandfather's uh, kindness and charity. And um, I'm not sure that he ever did anything with those um, because I believe he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to show those people mercy. Um, it's, of course, a business decision, and I don't think um, if you've reasonably tried to collect those bills um, that it's unreasonable to try to collect if you desire to, but you don't have to. 
Now, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 6, so let's look at that together, and uh, we'll see exactly what context says. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? <clears throat> or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? Okay, and so understand that in the context here, Paul is not specifically uh, pointing to a certain business owner at the church of Corinth uh, and saying, you know, this is wrong or so forth. Uh, he's making a principle here, and the principle is that Christians ought not to argue and dispute the way that the world does. And so he's, he's going on to say that we should, you know, when we have those opportunities, when we've been wronged, uh, we should take a different path. We should seek a higher path. And so I think that's uh, probably good advice. Um, so to your specific um, uh, situation, I would go on to verse 7, which is not on the screen, but you can read it at home. Paul says, why not rather be wronged? And he's saying here that uh, when Christians deal with one another, uh, we have the opportunity to show Christ in our dealings uh, with each other. So it's going to be an individual decision. You're going to have to think exactly about who this customer is, if they've fallen on hard times, if they've just had a, a bad uh, uh, row in life to, to hoe and, and uh, they are just having a real tough time. You have a great opportunity to show mercy. Uh, if this person is just being lazy and and uh, just trying to, to get away with something for nothing, well, it might be okay. But you're going to have to think about it. Um, I will say for the customer, whoever you're thinking about, if they're a Christian, uh, if you're a Christian, you really ought to never leave any debt outstanding. If you say you're going to pay something, you ought to pay it. If someone gives you a service, uh, then you ought to pay the bill. So if something is owed you, you have an opportunity to show mercy, and I'll let you make the individual decision. Let's look at one final verse, Romans chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Give everyone to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So, tough question, but I hope the scripture gives us a little bit of insight into how we conduct our businesses. All righty, thank you. Let's uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. I, we enjoy answering a few questions for you each week. And, Hopefully they give you a little insight to the Bible, but there's so much more in the Bible, and that's why we rely on some free study materials that we're happy to send you and advocate and encourage home Bible study. Uh, I don't know how much time you have on your hands. Most of us are very, very busy, but almost everybody can slip in 20 minutes or 30 minutes of Bible study each day. Uh, or a little bit each week or whatever your schedule allows. But if you have some little bit of spare time, we've got some great tools to help you study the Bible. This first course that you see on the screen here is, uh, there are eight lessons in it, and the first two lessons are about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Great place to begin. Uh, determine the two basic parts of the Bible and learn what they're about, and then go on to some other topics also. So great study, very uh, 
just general knowledge of the Bible is what you'll get out of this one. And then there's some more advanced courses that we have beyond this that'll take you deeper into the life of Jesus and a number of great studies. So uh, if you want to get in started on that and start studying with free Bible study materials from Know Your Bible, phone number, website are on the screen. Use them anytime. Just tell us you want that free course. We'll get it started for you. I think you'll enjoy it and you'll learn a lot about the Bible. All right, question about what Paul meant in Romans. What did Paul mean when he said the Gentiles were without excuse? And he said it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Well, what he's talking about, if you look at the whole section, once again, we teach context on this program, is just read a few verses around it and you'll start to see what he's talking about. And what he's talking about is people that are displeasing to God and they're going to receive the wrath of God. And the problem, he says, is uh, they, uh, they are without an excuse not to believe that there is a God. He says they know God, but they won't admit there is a God. They won't honor Him or thank Him or uh, even admit there is a God. And he said they're without excuse. Now, his argument is, is you look at creation and you will find out there is a God. So let's just read the little more context around that and I think it will become very clear to you what he's saying. Let's read verse 19 as well as verse 20 and here's what Paul said. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now let's leave it up there just a moment or put it back if we can. Uh, what he says is if you look at things that have been made, everything created in the world, you can see two things about God. You can see power and His divinity, the divine nature. Okay, now what he's talking about is revelation from creation. Uh, we can see these things. We look out, we see the stars at night, we look at anything in creation, <clears throat> and we can tell that some powerful force had to make that. It, it couldn't just happen by itself. Uh, now, I know people argue that it did, but that's not sensible, that's not reasonable. And there's many illustrations and old stories about that. Uh, my favorite one is two teachers. Uh, one of them claimed to be an atheist and said there wasn't a God and everything just happened by itself. Well, the other one stayed one night late after school and in that fellow's office out of styrofoam he built a model of the universe and just hung these balls around the ceiling uh, to mimic the layout of the planets. Styrofoam balls. Well, the guy came in the next morning he said, who did this? And his fellow teacher said, nobody, it, it just happened. And the guy said, well, no, it couldn't just happen. And he's right. Something with an order like that, that had, obviously somebody arranged it. Uh, he knew that when he saw styrofoam balls. But he could look at the real universe and say, no, it just happened. Okay. So that's what Paul's saying, is some powerful something made all of this, had to. And then he says, there's a divine nature there. It had to be somebody with more power than man. It had to be something more than accident. 
So that's Paul's argument, is you look at the universe, you look at creation, and there's no excuse not to know there's a God. Now, you don't know much about him. You have to read the Bible to learn what kind of God he is and all of that. But anywhere, anybody, any place can look at creation and know there's a God. And we know that's true from the world. Uh, isolated peoples, primitive peoples, everybody everywhere always knows there's a divine power. And they come up with an explanation for him. Uh, they may call him a tree or a volcano or a, a storm cloud or something, but they know there's a divine power that made everything. So that's Paul's argument. There's no reason, no excuse not to know that there's a God. All right. Uh, next question is yeah. if you were wants yeah, to know. I'm done. <laughs> I just want to make sure I didn't step <laughs> nope. over your answer. I was looking. Can I go to heaven if I don't go to church? Well, uh, to, to explain this uh, answer, I've got to say, first of all, uh, only those in heaven, uh, the only people that are going to heaven are those who are in the church, who are in Christ. Okay, so when we think of church, usually we think of a building and a place and a you know, a place that we go maybe once or twice or three times a week, and, uh, and we kind of picture a church building, and that's normal and natural, but that's really different from the idea of church in the New Testament. And the New Testament speaks of church. The original word means the ecclesia, which simply means uh, the called out. And so it was talking about people. They didn't have church buildings back in the first century. Uh, when you said the church, it was, it was referring to the group of people the disciples of Christ, those of the way, uh, those who belong to his body. And all, yes, only those people are going to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And those who are in him are referred to his body or the church. So yes, you have to, you have to be a part of the church. Now, but you asked, do you have to go to church? And, and this is where we step into a, a real tendency for abuse. Um, on one end, people say, well, I don't ever have to go to church. And it's not necessary. I, I can just have my own private, personal relationship with God. Um, but God designed the church for a reason. See, you're not perfect, although you've been redeemed if you're in Christ. Uh, you need other people, and uh, you need to work together. And they have talents and skills that you don't have. They have abilities that you don't have. They have wisdom that you don't have. And so the whole body works together. Um, and on the other end of that are people who are so legalistic about it uh, that they just have a very checklist mentality that if you're not there every time the door is open, uh, there's a little bit of question on your salvation. Well, I don't agree with either of those two extremes. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. And yes, you should be a part and active and involved in your local body. But I don't think God has a checklist in terms of how often you're there, and nor do I think he doesn't care if you're never there. Uh, I think you ought to uh, be there as often as, as you can be reasonably uh, for the purpose of encouraging, for building up, for worship, for fellowship, uh, for maturity, for ministry. All of those things happen within the body of Christ and you'll be better for it. But if we get into a checklist mentality where we say, well, I, I have to be there uh, 48 times out of 52 weeks a year, uh, that's not in the Bible. Uh, but you do need to be a part of the 
Church Universal, which you are if you're in Christ, and of course the church local in your area. So church is not a place, it's a people. Christ is the head, the church is his body. Uh, let's read one final verse together where Paul talks about the body of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. And you need to play your part and do your part to be a part of his body. All right, thank you, Toby. Viewer uh, wants me to explain the difference between liberal and conservative. Explain the terms liberal and conservative in regards to Christianity. I know we've got liberal and conservative politicians and liberal and conservative everything, probably, but they say in the realm of Christianity. Uh, it occurred to me that if I really did define this as a liberal, a liberal believes all of these things. And a conservative is this and believes all of these things, I can be pretty sure that absolutely no one would agree with me. <laughs> because the way I would define it is <clears throat> I'd start with me, and I am obviously right. Yeah, I, I, I am right on all positions. So anybody a little bit left of me, I'd call a liberal, and anybody a little bit right of me, uh, I'd call a conservative. Uh, that's the way we would define terms. So I'm trying to say there's no standard definition. Uh, of what a liberal and a conservative is. Uh, perhaps the best description uh, or the best way to think of it, for me anyway, is it's a difference of how people think about the Bible. It's a difference of how people treat the Bible and uh, everybody in Christianity may say it's God's Word. But if you're on the liberal side, tend toward the liberal side, you're probably a little less strict about that. You're probably a little more willing to say, well, I know the Bible says that, but you don't have to take that literally, and I think this makes more sense. Okay, God said this, but with my human reasoning, I know a little bit better. And, and there's some verses that work like that. I understand that. But in general, liberals treat the Bible a little more that way, that human reasoning, human sense, the culture uh, determines a lot more than what the Bible says. Conservatives are a little stricter about it. They're a little more toward the end. Uh, you know the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, I've always thought that that middle term is <laughs> superfluous. If God says it, that settles it. Doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. But God says it, that settles it. That's the conservative side of things. Is If there's a verse in there that says this, that's what it means. Now. Obviously, there's a whole spectrum between every verse means exactly what it says and there's no question about it to no verse means exactly what it says and we can kind of be loosey-goosey about it. Uh, to me, that's the way I look at liberal and conservative. I'd be hard-pressed to define where the division is, uh, what positions what beliefs, what doctrines to put in, which side, and all that. The middle ground there is hard to define. But the difference between liberal and conservative to me is how we look at the Bible, how strict we are about the Bible says it, that's what we're going to do. And a lot of current moral issues come right down to that. Uh, we all agree that this verse says this about a certain moral topic. But how do we do that? What do, we, do we say we got to follow that strictly or no, we don't? Uh, it's a little bit like politics. I mentioned we got liberals and conservatives there. Uh, it's a little bit how we treat the Constitution. 
a liberal politician is more likely to say, well, I know the Constitution says that, but we've got to adapt. We've got to change a little bit. And a conservative says, no, the Constitution says that. That's what we've got to do. Uh, so maybe that will help you think about it, how we treat the Bible. Liberal conservative. All right, let me take just a moment and visit, invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, they're the folks that keep us on the air and keep us uh, broadcasting here, and we get such good support from all of our uh, supporting congregations. We like to mention a few each week, and here's a couple in uh, Kansas, Oxford, uh, a little bit east of Wichita, the home base of Know Your Bible, and in Pratt, just a little bit west. And either one of those towns got a nice congregation of the Church of Christ. They'd uh, welcome you anytime. Uh, Steve Triplett preaches out at Pratt. I know you enjoy meeting him and the uh, family there at Pratt. And if you're looking for a church home, drop in sometime. Or if you know somebody at one of those churches, uh, just tell them you watch the program and you appreciate them keeping it on the air. All right, Toby, let's squeeze in a few more here maybe. Sure. A uh, person asked the question about Michael. They say, are Jesus and Michael the archangel the same? My uh, answer is, is absolutely not. Uh, Jesus is much, much, much superior to angels. If you read through scriptures, you'll you'll get that idea very clearly. Of course, Jesus uh, is uh, has always been. Uh, he was uh, since before the creation, since before everything. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, he is without uh, beginning or end, and. Uh, of course, angels are created beings, uh, and though they are higher than human beings, they are much, much lower than deity for sure. Uh, as uh, we study the topic of angels, the word, the original word, just simply means servant, one who does the bidding of the Lord. And um, when we study Michael, uh, we see that he's mentioned very few times in Scripture. A few times in Daniel, once in Jude chapter 1 verse 9, and once in, in Revelation where it says war broke out in heaven and uh, Daniel and his angels uh, were battling there. And so it's very interesting to think about who Daniel is and why he's an archangel and how that made him, or uh, who uh, Michael is and uh, how that made him an archangel, what, what powers he had that were different or unique. Uh, but, of course, he was, even with all of his uh, strengths and abilities, whatever they might be, um, he was much, much lower than Jesus himself. And Jesus is both superior to human beings and angels. Let's look at a verse from the screen which tells us this from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Very easy to see that Jesus is far, far above the angels. Uh, viewers got a question, why was the veil of the temple torn? You can read about that in Luke verse 20, chapter 23. At Jesus' death the temple veil was torn in two. Uh, it's a great picture is what it is, an illustration in the Old Testament. The people could not go before God. The high priest had to go before God's dwelling place once a year. He went through the veil in the temple uh, into the most holy place. Well, on, at Jesus' death, God reached down and tore it from top to bottom 
as a picture that now you didn't have to go through the high priest. Now everybody was available uh, to approach God directly. So we can pray directly to God now. We don't have to have a high priest to approach him for us. So it was a picture, an illustration. Uh, that's what it meant. Uh, trivia question. Let's get that answered today. Who was the one who caught 300 foxes? Well, that was old Samson. Samson was... Uh, uh, mighty man of God, uh, did a few things God didn't approve of, uh, but he did play a few tricks on the Philistines, and he killed a lot of Philistines. But one time he caught 300 foxes and uh, set their tails on fire and sent them through the fields to burn them up. So that was his prank of the day. <laughs> We're glad you've been with us. We invite you to be back with us next week. Uh, we'll try to answer some more of your questions then. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.